want you to grab a Bible or a phone um, and open it up to uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke, oh, Luke chapter 2 this morning. Can we turn it down a little? Um, we are doing sort of four weeks, or it's four sermons basically as we head into Christmas that all cluster around uh, Advent. Uh, and uh, this will be repetition for some of you, but I feel like it's necessary because in our church uh, and the tradition that some of you come from, like you're like, all like, you know it's Advent, like your internal like Christian clock has like already like warned you Advent season is here. Others of you are like, Advent? Like I've heard of an Advent calendar. We used to have those when we were kids, you know, the chocolate behind the thing. And like that's as far as Advent goes to you. It's like an Advent calendar. Awesome. Bring those back. Um, and like you actually don't necessarily know what Advent is. Like Advent is the, the what? Does anyone actually know what Advent means? This is not a trick question. This is like participation time. Okay, excellent. It means the arrival, the, 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 the arrival, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Advent, the Advent of something. So Advent, and in Scripture, there is this mixture of, of waiting and arrival uh, that we see. And that's what we do in Advent season is that we, we anticipate Christmas Day. I mean, it's, you know, it's already happened, but we have a season in our church life, in our calendar, in our own walk with the Lord, where we, we're anticipating the celebration of the coming of Jesus into the world on Christmas Day. But it's not like we don't want to, we just want to rock up on Christmas Day and be like, hey, woohoo, it's Jesus' birthday, cool. And then, then we're off for a couple of weeks and then, you know, we're waiting for Easter again. Like, our Christian tradition is a bit lame at, at building up things and waiting. And so this Advent thing is a, it's a season of both waiting and celebrating the arrival of Jesus. And so the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at different, uh, different, the four different themes. Some of you will know this. You maybe grew up in a church where they used to have candles. Uh, anyone grew up? With, yeah, okay. I, I know, I'm always bank on Irwin. Uh, the, you have the Advent wreath, and you're one week, you light a candle, and there's spe special readings and prayers and stuff. Like some of you are looking at me like, where did, I didn't grow up doing this. I just know that it does happen in some churches, and uh, they love it. And it's very rich, and we should probably incorporate some of that stuff because the church has been doing it for a long time, and it makes it a lot richer. We're not lighting any candles here because I think the fans will blow them out. Um, but we're going to look at four of the themes. So we're going to look at hope, uh, peace, love, and joy. Those four themes, and we're going to talk about how Christmas re reorientates all of those things, all right? Are you with me? So I know it may feel like Christmas every week until Christmas, but we're going to be zooming in on different things. And I'll say this. I'm not the world's biggest Christmas person, but I'm a big Jesus person, and Christmas is about Jesus. Okay, I, I couldn't give two hoots about Santa Claus uh, and Christmas trees. Why is our Christmas tree not up yet, love? I was just, uh, today, apparently it's happening today. Guess what I'm doing with my life today, chaps? I'm putting up a Christmas tree. But, you know, we're not a massive Christmas family, but we love Jesus. And so to spend four weeks looking at the arrival of Jesus from every possible angle will be really good for uh, our souls and our minds. And so today we're looking at, um, at the hope of Christmas, the hope of Christmas in Jesus' coming. And uh, hope is, is essential. Think of yourself as a human being. Uh, we all have to live with hope. Some of you are hoping that this isn't going to go on too long. Uh, you know, everyone has hope wired into them. You're all hoping for something. We don't have time to have um, you share, but everyone's hoping for something. Some of you are just hoping for a holiday. Some of you are hoping next year is not as bad as this. Some of you are hoping for a Christmas present, hoping to find a job, 
you know, hoping to, like, every, everyone's hoping or waiting for something. Everyone, and, and so Advent helps us enter into this because it's just a part of our condition is to be people who, who live with hope as an essential part of our human condition. You take hope away from people, and they just collapse. You, you see it sometimes. You see it's really well depicted in certain movies where some, some people, you know, they, they, they either isolate them on their own, and they just they lose hope, and they just collapse as people. Uh, we have to be propped up with, with hope, and as we, as we look at this, both the, the hoping and the waiting and the longing. This is a wonderful account in Luke chapter 2 uh, of Simeon. And we're going to dive into that. But before we do that, I, I want definitions are so important. When I talk about hope, uh, it can be in a, in a sort of an unbiblical sense, a, a wishful thinking and a, and a kind of a, a hope that uh, this, you know, have no certainty around it. Like, you know, I hope that it's not going to cost a lot to fix my mountain bike that I broke yesterday. I have no certainty around that. I'm just sort of hoping that biblical hope is very, very different. Biblical hope is, is certainty that the one who is the ultimate promise keeper, that what he has said, he has promised on himself that that, will, that thing will come to pass. So it's, it, that's a different kind of a hope. It's a certain hope. It's not a wishful thinking kind of hope. And so when I'm talking today, I'm talking about biblical hope. I'm not talking about otherworldly wishful thinking kind of thing. This is sound biblical hope because it's based on the nature and the promise of God. Okay, Luke chapter 2, let's read uh, together from uh, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Week by week, we ask as we read it and as we sit and listen to it, and as we look at it, that you would speak to us um, out of it, that these words would come to life again in our hearing and, and speak to our hearts, that they, would, that they would change us, that they would shape us, that they would reveal more of you to us. And so we ask again this morning that through the work of your Holy Spirit now, Father, you would teach us, you would speak, we would hear your voice. It's the most important thing that we need in all of life is to hear you speak and have your words come and strengthen and shape us. And so we say again that we're desperate to hear your voice and so in need of the teaching 
guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us this morning. Please come and open our eyes to see what we need to see and our ears to hear what we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a few things I want us to look at here, and I'm not going to be super long this morning. I know you probably don't believe me, but uh, I want us to look at a couple of things here in this account with Simeon uh, that we can take massive uh, hope in. Uh, and some of them, some of them you may think that's a bit odd, but uh, we're going to do a, a couple of short ones, and then we're going to spend most of our time talking about Jesus because he is obviously the star of this passage and of everything. Uh, but the first thing is to take hope in the work of the Holy Spirit, to take hope in the work of the Holy Spirit. I love, I love how the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this occasion, in this interaction of Simeon. We don't know much about Simeon. This is the only time Simeon is mentioned. There's very little known about him. We don't know if he, if he was a priest. There is a likelihood he was a priest because he was in the temple, but he wasn't in the important part of the temple. I know it just says temple there, but he wasn't. There were different words for the temple. The word used here is not the most important part where the priest would serve. He's sort of in the outer courts uh, of the temple, where, which is where Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have been able to get to. Um, so we don't, we don't know if he was a priest. He's, there's no other qualifications. He doesn't pop up anywhere else. It's just Simeon here, and he gets to you know, be a rock star, and he's in the Scriptures forever. Uh, and he gets to hold Jesus, and he gets to pray a blessing over Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool job. He's old. Okay, he's old. Uh, it, it, it's great. This little section of Luke, you just have old people just rejoicing in Jesus and in his coming. And uh, I, think, I think old people are, are better rejoicers because they've had to wait for things. When, when things are right for old people, they're like, hallelujah, I've been waiting for this forever. You know, like a grandkid or something like that. They're like, you know, sometimes they'll be waiting forever like to have a grandkid or just anything that arrives, like old people just better, young people just entitled, they think everything should just rock up kind of thing. Most, now all the young oaks are looking at me thinking, stuff you. but I'm, I'm right and you're wrong, and uh, go find some old people and ask them. So like, man, it's, it's like a richness. And in the story here, you've got old people just celebrating uh, over, over Jesus and this wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, have brought him to the temple. This is what you had to kind of do. You had to present him. Uh, firstborn son, 40 days after he's born. First he goes seven days afterwards for circumcision, and then another 33 days afterwards, they have to go and present for Mary's um, cleansing kind of thing, all these sacrifices. Yeah, we wouldn't have to do all that kind of stuff anymore these days. You just sort of go for doctor's checkups kind of thing. But this is basically Jesus at 40 days at the temple with his folks here. Uh, they're bringing him to the Lord, and they're bringing their offerings with him. So Simeon is around this, and here... The Holy Spirit is at work. Remember, this is pre-Pentecost, so the Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. And yet the Spirit is on this man, is on this old man, Simeon. It says that. He's a, he's a righteous and devout man. It says the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on this man. He's waiting around for the consolation, the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel was like a title given for the Messiah, the one who would come and console, who would come and comfort God's people he had been promised, again here, yeah, through the Holy Spirit. God spoke to him through the Holy Spirit of promising and said, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. That's pretty cool, eh? And now he's old. Imagine, he's waiting around. He's like, I'm not getting any younger, yeah? He's not looking promising, yeah? Hang, I don't know how much time he spent, spent hanging, hanging around the temple or just lurking around Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us anything that he was doing. He's just waiting. He's just waiting and waiting and waiting because he is believing that what God has said to him is true. You can't see it yet, but he's waiting, and now he's old. And 
That's why his reaction is so moving for us to read this morning. But here it says the Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit's speaking to him. And the Holy Spirit's guiding him and leading him. It's amazing how it says the Holy Spirit leads him into the temple at exactly the right time. We're going to talk about that now. At exactly the right time, the Holy Spirit leads him. Why am I mentioning all this? Because it's really important for us, this side of Pentecost, and anyone who calls themselves a believer in Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit is still at work in you. Not because it's on, him, on you, because he's in you. And you are now spirit, you're a spirit-filled believer. There's no such thing as an unspirit-filled believer. You're a spirit-filled believer, and you can be spoken to by the Holy Spirit. You can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit in all of life. It's amazing. The hope that's in us because of the indwelling nature and the person of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is to have hope in God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. As I spend time thinking through the story, you know, God doesn't have any accidents. You know, you've heard of a coincidence. People like to call it a God, God incidence or whatever. I always mess those things up. Um, I don't really like that kind of phrasing. All I believe is God is sovereign and his timing is absolutely perfect. And here you have this old man, he's lurking around the temple, waiting in Jerusalem for the Messiah to arrive. God's promised him. And he goes into the temple on the day, at the time, that Mary and Joseph wander in with Jesus. He's been waiting for we don't know how long. But at that time, he is in the temple, Mary and Joseph are there. This is the one day they're going to be there with 40-day-year-old Jesus. 40-day-year-old, did I say 40-day-year-old? 40-day-old Jesus this is one of the only times he's going to be there to be blessed and prayed over. And Simeon is there. It says he's guided, led by, guided by the Spirit. He enters the temple. Amazing. God's perfect timing. God had promised this man, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And in he goes. God's timing is absolutely perfect. Why is this encouraging? Why is this hopeful for us? Because you may feel that 2020 came at the wrong time. I've heard so many people say that, like 2020 couldn't have come at a worse time for me. Nope. 2020 came at exactly the right time for you. God is never early or late. God is only has one time, and that's on time. And it's perfect time because he is the one who keeps all the time and organizes everything. Nothing happened this year in your life by a mistake. Nothing was early or late. You're not waiting for anything that's outside of God's perfect time. He can direct an old man's steps to coincide with the coming of the Messiah so he can bless him and God can fulfill his promise to that old man. 2,000 years ago, God has got you covered. You can place massive hope in whatever the timing, whatever the circumstances look like, God's timing is absolutely perfect. We can have thirdly hope in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Listen to what Simeon says as he gets to pray over Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. I, um, I love babies. Uh, I love holding babies. I love being with babies. I don't love all the other things that you necessarily have to do with babies. But when they're like clean and fed and dry and everything like that, I love Babies. I love to play with them, hold them. And just like I got to hold Gemma's baby like uh, this week at our star function. And I was like the happiest human in the world for like 20 minutes or half an hour. I was like, oh, are we going to employ her child on the staff? We're going to find a position just so she can bring her to work and I can get to hold babies. Because I love, I love babies. And so as I enter into the story, there I think of Simeon, this old man. He just it says, he just, I don't know if he asked. I'm sure he did. Uh, oh, hey, 
I want to hold Jesus. That's what they did back then. When they blessed children, they held them. And he prays this blessing over, over Jesus. I can't imagine what is welling up in this guy as the fulfillment of this promise that God made to him. And these words just gush out with so much truth about who he is singing this song over. And what does he say? Well, he says, my eyes have seen, my eyes have now seen your salvation. I'm holding a 40-day-old baby, but this is your salvation. He knew what it meant that this Messiah, this baby was going to grow up and he was going to save the world. And this is the reason that he had come. And Simeon says, it's lost a bit in the translation in the English here, but it, it, where, it says, where it says now, uh, Master, that is like a behold, that's a very strong word in the original. It's like, wow, wake up, he's here now, he's here, he's arrived. And he basically says, look, you can take me now. Have you ever had that when you've had a great experience? It's like, Lord, you can take me now, I've done whatever it is. That's Simeon, he's like, Lord, take me now. You know, it's like, ooh, it doesn't get any better than this. This is what I've been waiting for, and it's happened. But now he's saying, my eyes have seen salvation. I'm holding a 40-day-old baby, but this is salvation. Salvation. And it's important for us to remember this, that Christmas is about a Savior. It's not about just baby Jesus. It is about baby Jesus as well. It's about the coming of God into the world. But why does God come into the world? He comes as a Savior. He comes as a Savior. And for all of us, who, all of us who are saved, who've come to know that, for us, we cast our minds back and forward, and we say, thank you, God, that you have saved me. And for those of us who aren't, it's a, it's a, it's a good reminder. It's a call, and I want to call and encourage you to say, Amen. The, the whole essence and the message of Christmas is that you need saving. God sends himself into the world in Jesus. He comes to save us, not just to be a good example, not to teach us nice things, not to hold children and bless them and walk around with sheep and, you know, be a good moral teacher and whatever else. He comes to save people. That's the most important thing we need to remember and bash into our heads at Christmas time is that we need saving, the world needs saving, and this salvation has come in Jesus Christ. Simeon says he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It's amazing. A light for revelation, a light that reveals you and I are Gentiles, we're not Jewish. And, and, and just a reminder, and by way of for us to just rejoice, that you wouldn't have figured out who Jesus was unless, unless he revealed. And that light of revelation came and your eyes opened. It's like there was a time probably when you didn't understand who Jesus was and you didn't appreciate who he was and who you needed to be in relationship with him. But the work of God has turned the lights on, the lights of revelation. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. I see who I am. I need a Savior. This is Jesus. I need to be in relationship with him. We don't, we're not born like that. We need a light of revelation for those of us who are Gentiles. And then he carries on and he says, glory for Israel. Glory for Israel. Jesus comes to Israel first. I'm not going to get into all the other stuff here because I don't know where you all stand theologically on these things. But he comes to those who would receive him in Israel, and many do, but many reject him. Many reject him. And, and, and the, the mercy of the Scriptures is that God's not done with Israel yet. He's not done with the Jewish nation yet. He's, not done. He's going to continue with them. There's glory for Israel in this coming of Jesus Christ. It's both salvation, light for Gentiles, revelation for Gentiles like us, and glory for Israel. The fourth thing we see here, is God's plan in the midst of suffering. 
God's plan in the midst of suffering. Because when Simeon sort of finishes his, his praise song kind of thing, he looks at Mary and Joseph and, and he blesses them and he, he speaks about Jesus, but he speaks straight to Mary. And what does he say to her? So Simeon blessed them, told his mother Mary, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of men in Israel and be a sign that will be opposed. And there's like a sort of a separate thing. He says, and a sword is going to pierce your own soul. That the thoughts of many may be revealed, he carries on. A sword's going to pierce your soul. As a pastor, some of the toughest things that I've ever had to do is be with parents who've lost children. It's one of the hardest things, and it's almost impossible to understand unless you've been a parent who's lost a child and a mother who's lost a child, whose son, is, son or daughter has, has died or whatever, or taken their own life or anything like that. And here's Mary standing listening to this. She's with 40-day-old Jesus, and he has this promise. The sword is going to pierce your heart. She lives her life knowing that there's grief awaiting her. And she sees Jesus, you know, 33 years later, she helps him grow up and teaches him everything. And then she's at the foot of the cross when they nail her son to the cross. Don't, don't think that Mary was just like some sanctified kind of whatever that it didn't. It was just a water off a duck's back. Like she understood the bigger purpose. It's cool, yokes can nail my son to the cross. It's fine. I get it. This isn't going to hurt. It's her son that she gave birth to, that she raised, now being nailed to a cross. That's what we focus on at Easter. But the, and that's the sword that goes and pierces her soul. God's plan in the midst of suffering. Unless Mary went through that sword piercing her soul, God's plan couldn't have come to pass. See, when you suffer, it doesn't mean that God's plan isn't coming to pass. Sometimes it means that that is God's plan coming to pass in the midst of deep suffering, sword piercing the heart. And I think this year and probably next year will be times of suffering for many people. It doesn't mean that God's plan is unraveled. God's plan is still being worked out in the midst of suffering. It's just how God has made it, how God has wired things. And the joy for us and the hope for us as Christians is that our suffering isn't meaningless. It's not purposeless. purposeless. It has purpose because it comes from the hand of a Savior. Do you think God wanted Mary to, to inflict this kind of damage on Mary just to punish her or something? It's like, you know what, Mary? I'm picking you to be the mother of the Savior, but I'm going to pierce your heart because you did, you know, something wrong or whatever. Sometimes people can think suffering is because you've done something wrong. God's going to get you. No, no, no. It's a privilege for Mary to suffer like that, to see her son hanging on the cross, to have his, her, her heart pierced because it did something in her. God was loving her in the midst of it. I know you think I'm crazy, but God was loving her in the midst of her suffering. And we speak about Mary now. We speak about, we speak about Mary, Mary for ages. What a gift, what a privilege she had. She's, you know, when God told her she was going to be uh, Jesus' mother, she said, let it be a, to me according to your will. Not my will, it's all about you. I submit my life to you, even if it involves suffering and a plan that's completely different to mine. And, and it's good for us to sort of put our hands up like that with Mary to say, hey, God, your plan for my life may look very different to my plan for my life. And it may involve suffering. But man, in the midst of all of that suffering, God's perfect plan for us has all been worked out. And that's exactly what we see here in what happens with Mary. Simeon says other things that relate to Jesus. He says he'll cause the rise and the fall of many. He'll be opposed 
and he will make clear the thoughts of people's hearts. And uh, as we end this morning, it's important for us to respond to Jesus. Uh, whether, whether you've been a believer for ages or you're not a believer, to respond to him, to respond to the, the hope that's in, in Jesus. He, he reveals the thoughts. He lays bare your heart. That's, that's some probing stuff. You don't pretend with Jesus. That's why he comes into the, into the world. And the, it, it's heartbreaking to read these words that he will cause the rise and the fall of many. It, and, and, and that all depends on how we respond. He causes the rising of those who respond and he causes, the, he causes the falling of those who oppose him and reject him. Christmas is about Jesus. Our kids always ask us, we have such vibrant discussions with our kids at the age they are at the moment about faith. And again and again, they're talking about rock stars. Karis loves to ask me if celebrities are Christians. And I'm like, I have no idea. You know? I mean, how would you even know kind of thing? And so they Google it like, is this person a Christian? And sometimes they are, and they've mentioned Jesus in a thank you speech. And so, you know, maybe they are. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, are they going to go to heaven? I'm like, I have no idea. And again and again, it provides an opportunity for us to say, who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to go to heaven? Good people? No. Wrong answer. You know, go through all the, all the permutations. People who are kind, compassionate, nice, whatever. No, no, no. The people who responded to Jesus, they get to spend eternity with him. The people who responded in faith to Jesus and placed all their hope in the Savior of the world, in God's salvation, which what Simeon has said, they get to go and spend eternity with God. And those who reject that message don't. And it's as simple as that. And those of us who have placed our hope in that today, we get to celebrate again this coming of Jesus into the world. This baby. I wish I had a baby here. I wish someone had arrived with a small child this morning. And get the kid up here, you know, with the parents' permission. Maybe get the parents up here. And so preach holding. I had half a mind to borrow someone's baby and preach holding a baby. That would be uh, a first for me and many. Because it may help us. Maybe even that picture. Imagine me. I mean, a plastic baby wouldn't quite do it. They need to wriggle and moan and squeak and stuff. That's what Jesus was, guys. That's what Jesus was. We have our picture of adult Jesus, 40-day-old Jesus. He causes ultimate rejoicing in every single person. It's amazing. It's amazing. This gift who's come, and we can say with confidence this morning, all of our hope is in him. Let's pray together. Father, we want to, we want to acknowledge this morning that we, we place a lot of hope in many other things. We hope in our own abilities, our, our skills, our, our jobs, our, our pleasures and comforts, our connections, our families. The list is endless of things that we, that we place hope in. And yet we want to be reminded again this morning, Father, that, that Jesus is uh, our only hope. That, and we want to say that all of our hope is in you again this morning. Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus into the world. Jesus, we want to thank you that 
as you've come, you, you cause this, this spontaneous rejoicing in this old man, Simeon. Just words of praise coming out of his heart and over his lips that you are salvation. You are a light of revelation. You are glory. You cause the rising and falling. Though you're opposed, you lay bare the thoughts of people's hearts. And we want to say, we come before you again this morning. Lord, and we want to worship you. We want to say, all of our hope is in you. You are the King of heaven. You are the forever Messiah. And you reign and you rule and you have loved us. And you loved us by coming into the world to be our rescuer, to be our salvation, and to give us hope that's not wishful thinking. That's not uh, like flimsy preference. It's rock-solid certainty that the God who's the ultimate promise keeper will see through his promises and will save us and will rescue us and will redeem everything and make everything right one day. And you've promised to draw us to yourself and make us your own, and we sense that this morning. And I want to pray for us that those of us who follow you, that joy would rise in us again as we remember again that, Jesus, you are our hope, and we can just go into the season with hearts rejoicing in the certainty of that. And for those of us listening to this this morning who are still figuring this out, who are still taking steps towards you, I pray that they would sense you taking steps towards them, drawing them into relationship, that they could say this Christmas that their hope is truly in you, that they have found the Messiah, that they've experienced salvation, that the lights have been turned on in their souls, and they come to this Christmas rejoicing in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We are undeserving of your kindness in this, and we just want to say we love you and we worship you. And we pray that as we walk through Advent together as a church, that you would be stirring us and shaping us, that we'd be led deeper and deeper into the celebration of, of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Help us to uh, remove all the other distractions of the cultural um, you know, wrappings of, of Christmas and get clear and center, eyes fixed on you, Jesus, and marveling at who you are and what you have done. And we ask these things for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.